middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas and beyond with Tommy Castor and Weston Mills. This is Keeper of the Games. We want to welcome you into another episode of Keeper of the Games. We are the podcast that focuses on the world of sports in Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. Along with Weston Mills, I'm Tommy Castor. And Weston, today is a monumental episode of Keeper of the Games. We have officially reached 20 episodes of Keeper of the Games at that big 2-0 today. And uh, man, I don't know about you. It feels like yesterday we were just launching this thing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's if you look back to it's pretty incredible to think we've done 20 episodes, two of which have been while well, live sports were going on. I don't know. Maybe it's been a couple more episodes than just two, but it sure feels like we really launched into this thing and done most of our uh, episodes with no live sports. But it's been good that we've been able to keep it going and uh, I'll excited to see where this thing takes us now that we're starting to see those live sports um you know, at least putting a, a date on when they're coming back online. You know, it's interesting because I've had a few people over the course of the last couple of months or so that have been like, you know, Tommy, you have a sports podcast. What do you guys even talk about? Yeah. You know, there's no sports going on right now. Uh, and, you know, it has been challenging at times, but like in today's episode, there is a lot to get to. There's a lot to talk about in the world of sports. And so, you know, I, I think we've just sort of adjusted a little bit the way that we've done it as opposed to talking about scores and breaking down different plays of the game. We're talking more topic-based type discussions on the podcast, which, you know, I think that will continue. But obviously, when sports come back, we'll actually get into breaking down the actual games, uh, which is why we were doing this podcast in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm excited. We got golf coming back up, and you know how we've talked it in depth about my feelings toward golf, but I'm excited that actual real golf is coming back. We got the NBA putting a date on things and it looks like they're going to get going where uh, we discussed the MLB, unfortunately where, where they're at, but you know, hope, hoping that they're getting there and then football's still on track. So things are starting to feel a little bit more normal. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, I'm not a big sports better at all, but just the lack of sports. I've actually put money on the golf tournament this weekend, uh, which I I, re- I rarely do. But I'm just that jacked about, you know, sports coming back. So I think slowly but surely we'll start to see, you know, more and more sports happening, actual sporting events. So looking forward to that. Uh, before we get started, want to remind you to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode of Keeper of the Games, you'll get a notification and you can listen to us anywhere you find your favorite podcasts out there. We're on iTunes and iHeartRadio, Google Play, uh, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, basically anywhere you find your favorite podcast, you can listen to us there. You can also watch full episodes on Facebook and YouTube. I think we have the video issue resolved from the last episode, so we should have uh, this episode uh, up on YouTube and Facebook. All you have to do is search for Keeper of the Games. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's at K-O-G pod. And before we get started, I neglected to mention this on the show last episode, but we want to thank our sponsor, Title Boxing Club. They're located at the shops in Tallgrass, uh, shops at Tallgrass at 21st and Rock Road. Uh, and right now, by the way, if you sign up for a membership there, uh, you get uh, when you purchase gloves, gloves, you get your first month free. So kind of a cool deal there uh, from our friends at Title Boxing Club, again, at 21st and Rock Road in the shops at Tallgrass. So with all of that out of the way, let's get into another episode, episode number 20 of 
keeper of the game. So we're going to kick things off with talking about what else the University of Kansas. There's a lot going on with KU. And actually, the news broke over the weekend. You and I were texting about it when it actually happened that the University of Kansas and a former head football coach, David Beatty, have reached a settlement. So they have settled. The case will not go to trial. We've talked about this issue at length on several different episodes. And, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm pretty sure that the collective opinion between you and I is just relief that this whole thing is out of the way and it's not going to go to trial. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think we kind of mentioned when we when we discuss this in further, I mean, most of these things don't. It seemed like an odd move for Kansas to even really let it go as as far as they did. I think, um, you know, I would when I, when I texted you about this over the weekend, I, you know, I really think they maybe expected Jeff Long's. Um, deposition to go a little bit better than it did. Um, and, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that really had no effect. It just where they were at negotiations, it just wasn't time to, to settle. And, and now we've kind of, they've, they reached that impasse and it was, you know, finally a possibility that since the, the sides were close enough to kind of resolve this issue and move on. Yeah, you know, I I think that just over the months of talking about this and rehashing it and breaking down all of the different issues, I'm not sure that there are a lot of KU fans out there that were really gung-ho about this fight continuing. I mean, I think everybody was of the opinion that, you know, at the end of the day, and I've said this on this program before, the only thing David Beatty was actually guilty of was just being a pretty bad football coach. I mean, that's really it. Uh, you know, of course, the guy went six and 42 in four seasons at KU, uh, which makes, you know, the likes of Charlie Weiss and Turner Gill look like Nick Saban out there, you know, as he only went six and 42. But he's a good guy. And it just seemed like the University of Kansas was engaging in a, a smear campaign from my point of view to try to find a way to withhold this money from him, money that I felt like was due to him. Uh, and, and I think a lot of the issue came down to the fact that he originally, the the university said he would get the money that he was being fired without cause. Then they came back and said, actually, no, we're going to withhold it because we're firing him with cause. So it sort of seemed like a witch hunt from day one, at least from my perspective. I think you and I might differ a little bit on on that and you know the way that it went down. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I'm sure that Coach Beatty is re, you know relieved to have this over with and that he's going to get his money. And I'm sure that the University of Kansas, you know, in, in some parts, you know, are now thinking, okay. That chapter is closed, and we can finally focus on the future. Yeah, and I, and to that point, I also think it's interesting that they did get this settlement done before the uh, infractions with the NCAA, you know, are to be dealt with, and before it goes with to this independent committee. You know, I would I would think to some degree anything Beatty said um, in a deposition, or you know, really anything that's been said at all, you know, can be used as potentially against them in the infraction portion of this with the NCAA. So I, I would assume that they probably wanted this all done and, and closed up so that there can't be any more information to be had going into this uh, process with the, the independent review board. The one thing that I find interesting is that, you know, that they're, they're paying Beatty, you know, from the escrow account uh, that, you know, the money was placed in when this dispute, you know, first got started. So uh, it comes from that original amount. Uh, it was during the 2018, 2019 fiscal year. One of my questions uh, when I first heard of the settlement, you know, there was a story a couple of weeks ago that despite the COVID-19 pandemic, the University of Kansas was actually going to show a surplus, if memory serves, for this 
this fiscal year that we're in right now. So part of me wondered, okay, well, since they announced they have a surplus, I guess maybe they had the money now to actually pay him. Uh, but I guess if that money was originally placed in escrow, it, it never went anywhere. It just it stayed in that account. But it, what, what I think is interesting to me is that they went on this pretty long legal battle. I mean, it, it's not years and years and years, but you know, David Beatty filed this lawsuit March of 2019. So we're a year and four months later, five months later uh, from this lawsuit being filed all the attorney bills and all of, you know, all the costs incurred on both sides at the end of the day, you know, I, I know that Kansas is paying him 2.55 million out of the three that he was owed, but how much overall money did the university of Kansas spend to try to fight this? Wouldn't have, wouldn't it have just been simpler to pay him his money in the first place and let him leave? Yeah. I mean, that's always the, the conversation you have when you start these things is, you know, okay, how much does it cost to defend? And I, I, I think, a lot of times, too, what goes into these thought processes is, you know, hey, we don't want to set a precedent that we're going to allow X, Y, or Z to happen. I mean, uh, you know, I had this conversation in, in the past with with plenty of clients about, you know, they, I would kind of sit the de- sit them down and explain to them, hey, look, here's what it's going to cost you to even to get to this point. And then when we get to this point, I can tell you, you know, I'm estimating you have this percentage of chance of, of prevailing at that point, but it's going to cost you this much to even get there where we can figure that out. And, you know, you'd still have those, those clients that would say, okay, well, you know, that's okay. I'm willing to risk that money because I don't want to set a precedent that if you file a lawsuit, we're just going to pay you to go away. And, you know, I, I would think to some degree that had to have factored in here when you are a big target like the University of Kansas. Um, and I guess by big target, I, I more mean you're in the public eye. David Betty files this lawsuit. It's going to be news. Now people are watching that. Um, you know, and I say that even if it's a, you know, you kind of roll your eyes and think, okay, Kansas, you're just, you know, you're being overly protective or overly worrisome about, you know, other things that could happen in the future. And, and you might be right, but that, I still think that thought process probably played into right or wrong, you know, them saying, Hey, we're going to have to fight this a little bit. We don't want to just roll over and, and pay a settlement to make it go away. So we're going to talk a little bit later on in the show about uh, athletic directors in the big 12. Uh, but I want to talk about Jeff long, you know, just for a moment here. And we'll talk about him later on in the program uh, in a little bit more in depth, but with just this scenario, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. We're not talking about, the NCAA investigation right now. We're not talking about anything like that. I'm, I'm mainly talking about this specific instance and the way that Jeff Long handled the David Beatty firing and then the lawsuit and the depositions and all of that. If you had to give him a letter grade from A to F, how do you judge the way that athletic director Jeff Long handled this situation? Oh, that's, that's such a loaded question, Tommy. Thanks for giving that one to me. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know. Right. I, you know, I, I probably, I think a, a, a B because, you know, I do think, and I know you're going to disagree with me on this, but, you know, I, I think there are, again, it kind of goes back to either one, not wanting to set a precedent or two, we did, we, we had a contract and you didn't stick to it. And now we're here is that's kind of been my position all along. Ultimately, I was still advocate advocating for settling. And I think that did, I think where he gets hurt a little bit is his deposition was not the best, which you can be a, a, a great person in your field of industry and not be deposed. Well, that's a, kind of its own different ball game, but still as the athletic director, you represent the university to a very high level. And so 
when you sit down and you get to pose, that is still you representing the university. And then it didn't go as well as I, I think some would have liked. Um, and there were some, as you kind of pointed out when we talked about that in, in whatever episode it was, there were some kind of unsavory comments he, he made or maybe actions he took during all this. And so, um, you know, I think that hurt him, but ultimately I, I don't know. It's hard for me to, to really knock him too much. I mean, they, they got the deal done. Um, there was some bad PR, um, you know, hopefully they set a precedent of, you know, we're just not going to let you file a lawsuit. And now granted, and I'm not giving you any chance to, to give me a rebuttal here, but, um, you know, granted they were the ones to withhold the money. So it's not so much that, you know, they, he just filed this lawsuit out of the blue. So I, I get that side of it too, but. Yeah. You know, here's the thing. Uh, and, and you know, you're my buddy, but you know, you've said some laughable things on this program before. I think that's the most laughable one that you're giving him a B grade on his handling of the David Beatty situation. The only saving grace for me that Jeff Long did not get an F grade. I'm going to give him a D minus. The only reason he didn't get an F grade was because this didn't go to trial. That's the only reason why, you know, I, and, and I want to go back to your point about, you know, setting a precedent and you can't just file a lawsuit. I, I, you corrected yourself because they withheld the money in the first place. David Beatty's only recourse was to file a lawsuit. It wasn't just a willy nilly. Hey, I want to sue them just because I want to. It was they're holding my money and I believe they're holding it without cause. Uh, that was pretty much his only recourse. I, I think the fact that, you know, they, they got into that. They, they got into this situation led by Jeff Long. Then, you know, the, the fact that his deposition uh, not only was it unsavory, it was embarrassing, I think, to the University of Kansas. And a lot of things came to light that I'm sure that that athletic department would have loved to keep under wraps as, as far as some of the behavior and some of the comments and things like that. Uh, that all was made public. Then the fact that they're ending up paying him you know, pretty close to what he was asking for in the first place. And then all the money that the University of Kansas spent on legal fees and all of that, it was a complete botch from start to finish. In my opinion, it should have never happened. And again, the only saving grace that Jeff Long has in my mind from not getting an F grade from me is that it didn't go to trial. Okay. But here's the thing, Tommy. So you're, you're going to, you're arguing two sides for Kansas because you're arguing that Jeff Long withheld this money and that that was such a mistake starting going forward. But yet you, we also talked about that you and I were under this, under the same kind of agreement, right? That, okay, he probably did commit these violations. And so if he has a contract that says, if you commit these violations, the money gets withheld. But then now on the other side, when we, when we move along here to talk about the NCAA infractions, you've also said, Hey, the NCAA, you know, they, if they're not defining Adidas as a booster, then how are they, how are they coming down on them? Well, because that, you know, it's what the bylaws say. We're going by what the bylaws say for you and I to hold this argument of like, Hey, you know, the NCAA, what are they doing here? They're trying to define Adidas as this. But then when we go back and say the contract says you can't violate or commit a violation, it, otherwise we can withhold your money. Now you're saying, well, you know, uh, come on, everyone's doing it. Well, that's, I mean, that's not really the argument, right? I mean, well, those are two separate cases though. I mean, no time was David Beatty in the football program ever accused of having anything to do with Adidas. No, that was all in the basketball no, no, program. No, I agree, but it's the same principle of argument. Either like on one side, you're saying, Hey, the bylaws don't say Adidas is a booster. So we, you know, how can the NCAA do this? And then on the other side, you're saying, well, if you look at the contract, 
you know, or I'm saying, if you look at the contract, it says if you commit a violation, you're saying, well, okay, yeah, he committed this violation by reading the what the wordage, the verbiage, the language of the contract says, but we should just ignore it because it's, you know, everybody's doing it. It probably wasn't that big of a deal. My issue is not necessarily the the violations on the football side. My issue is the fact that the University of Kansas made a commitment to, and, you know, and they informed Coach Beatty that they were going to pay out his contract. Then they went on a witch hunt to try to find something. Now, if they did, they did. And that's a completely different story. But in my opinion, they went after him for the sole reason to withhold the money from him. It wasn't like they had indication during his tenure that he was doing something wrong. And by the way, and I understand a violation is a violation is a violation. But at the same time, these are the most minor NCAA violations that are out there. It's a completely different ballpark than what we're talking about with Adidas and all of that on the on the basketball side. These are minuscule violations, if you if you will, that every football program in America has probably committed at one point or another. In fact, even in deposition, Jeff Long couldn't commit to whether or not Les Miles and his staff had ever committed these exact same violations. So they went on a wild goose chase. And in fact, it was it's been reported and it's been on the record, according to several witnesses, that Jeff Long said the phrase, let's try to find something on David Beatty like a dead hooker in his closet, like a dead hooker in his closet, quote unquote. It wasn't about, hey, let's you know try to do what's best for the university. It was let's try to find a way to not honor our commitment with this guy. So and I'll only say this. I mean, so we'll circle back around to the original question of the grades, right? So. While I agree with some of those things you were saying, I think that is why I think it was good for them to go ahead and settle. But to give him an F grade, I mean, you're starting from a premise, I would imagine, to give an F or a D or whatever whatever you get. I think it was a D. You're starting from a premise that they shouldn't have withheld this. There, there was no basis to withhold this money at all, and it was just a far-fetched action by Jeff Long. And I, I get, I mean, you kind of are saying that, but my point being, look, there, there are arguments to be made that they withheld the money rightfully. Now, like you just went into, there are reasons that, boy, this, maybe it didn't look like what they said it was, and that's why they should settle. But I guess that's where, and maybe we can land on like a, a C, C plus is maybe being <laughs> what it actually should have been. But, you know, I, I guess that's kind of where, where, why I went down that road was more just, I don't think you and I are analyzing this from starting from the same position, which is okay because two people can obviously look at this situation differently, but that's just my thought. It, right. And I also think I'm viewing it from the lens of, you know, I know that I'm the one that said, we're just talking about this situation, but it's hard for me to not look at it from, you know, s- some other things that Jeff Long has done early on in his tenure at the University of Kansas that is just, it's given me pause, uh, I guess. Uh, and so I, I'm sure that's kind of clouding, you know, my thought process as well. One of those things has to do with Adidas. And so we're going to talk a little bit, you know, about the, the current investigation here in just a moment. But going back to the whole Adidas and the booster situation, it was Jeff Long himself in a press conference that identified Adidas as a booster. That's the last thing that you want to do, especially when the university has come out so 
vehemently against Adidas being a booster. Jeff Long himself in an impromptu press conference referred to Adidas as a booster. Uh, And so it just sort of seems like the the opposite of what is needing to happen. The most common sense decisions in some in some cases, he's doing the exact opposite. Uh, Talking about we're again, we're going to get into the current NCAA investigations uh, with Kansas here in just a moment and the new developments in that. But before we get to that, uh, something to sort of uh, precede that conversation is what has gone on with Oklahoma State University. So the news broke just a few days ago that Oklahoma State is being hit with a one-year postseason ban due to the NCAA violations that uh, it was proven uh, on the committee of infractions from the NCAA that Oklahoma State had committed uh, due to assistant coach Lamont Evans. So a one-year postseason ban, it can be appealed, uh, and I'm sure that Oklahoma State will appeal that. My question is, uh, I'm guessing that doesn't bode particularly well for what Kansas has up uh, that they're up against right now, considering that the accused violations, the alleged violations for Kansas are significantly worse than what Oklahoma State was convicted of. Yeah, I mean, if you're Kansas, I mean, I, I think that's obviously why they wanted to go into the independent process or not. I mean, one of many reasons why they want to go into the independent process and why you're going to see them you know, fight this thing, you know, tooth and nail to really uh, prevail as much as they can. I, you know, I, I think a one year postseason ban would be a little light for what uh, Kansas is being accused of. I mean, I think you'd see something a little bit more s- significant. I, you know, it, it's interesting though, because, you know, we're essentially talking about um, benefits that were paid to Billy Preston, right? Is if, Am I remembering that right? It's Billy Preston. And Silvio de Sosa as well. And Silvio, right. And so and essentially, for the most part, both of them were entirely held out of games. I don't think there is much. And I mean, I think. And accusations about Zion Williamson. Also accusations right. about Zion Williamson, who didn't even end up playing at Kansas. Right, exactly. So I think that does actually go a long ways, you know, when you're when you're talking about you know, players who, who didn't pl- actually get into the game. So, you know, hopefully you're not looking at wins being vacated um, because while I think one can speculate that if Kansas is tied to Adidas and Adidas was paying players um, and Kansas had knowledge of that, that it probably goes beyond Billy Preston and Silvio de Souza. Um, but for the purposes of the NCAA, I think they can only issue punishment based on, you know, the actual, alleg- I don't think I know that they can only issue a punishment based on, you know, the actual allegations in front of them. So at least it's involved with players who weren't in the game and hopefully we won't be looking at vacating any wins. Now I have seen that that was floated around, but I don't know if that, if that's floated around in a sense of it's a serious violation and often serious violations come with vacating wins. But I, I don't see how the circumstances of these allegations would warrant that. There's one thing that that we're not talking about here. I mean, we're obviously talking about the a potential postseason ban and maybe a loss of scholarships or forfeiting some games or whatever that looks like. The one thing we're not talking about is what happens to Bill Self, because you know that there could there could easily be a scenario where he has to miss some games in the upcoming season. In fact, I've even heard rumors that. He could miss the entire season. You know, they could say, not only are we banning Kansas from the postseason, but Bill Self will not coach, you know, the 2020 to 2021 season. 
I don't know if that's going to happen. That might be a little bit extreme, but I think that in the lens of what is going to happen to the program, I think you also have to look at what's going to happen to the head man as well. Yeah. And ultimately I actually don't think that would be the worst thing. Um, you know, if that happened, I, I, it would bother me more as a fan if they vacated wins, even though, you know, I mean, you won games, you won a national title, you won big 12 championships. I mean, no one's looking at it any different, but just still for the purposes of punishment, Kansas basketball, you know, can carry on one season without Bill Self. I mean, if you don't think, you know, that, you know, Terrence or Jarence Howard and, and, uh, you know, everyone else that's there cannot can carry on this team without Bill and still with Bill's guidance. I mean, you know how, I mean, how can you really, I mean, his influence is all over that program. You know, it's not one year without him, it would be survivable. Yeah. You know, with the Oklahoma State situation, uh, you know, obviously they received uh, a year long or a one year postseason ban, also three years of probation. Just to put that in context, the Cowboys were accused of one level one violation. Kansas is accused of five level one violations in the basketball program. Now, obviously, there, you know, more than likely there are going to be two separate bodies that are that heard the Oklahoma State case versus the Kansas case. But at the same time, you know, you talked about just a few minutes ago with the David Beatty situation about setting a precedent is a, a level a, a one level one violation equivalent to a one year postseason ban. Does that mean five of them equals a five year long postseason ban? Or is there the potential that, you know, could Kansas end up with the death penalty? That doesn't happen very often, but it has happened in the past. Could Bill Self be found to have a complete lack of institutional control? That could happen as well. I mean, are we looking at worst case scenario where potentially the program is in shambles and the coach has to resign? You know, I th- I think one of the slight differences here, at least in my mind, is you know you got Lamont Lamont Evans who was actually uh, charged, you know, in this federal investigation, as opposed to Kansas doesn't have anybody themselves actually charged with any violations in the he was he was sentenced to three months in prison right and and i know you know for purposes of the ncaa investigation the the federal trial is its own separate thing so just because we didn't have anyone charged doesn't necessarily reflect anything but i think that when you have a coach who is charged with a federal crime that puts a significant stain on the ncaa you know and and they probably have to come down pretty harshly on Oklahoma state for that. And, and, and so I think that might be a slight difference where, Hey, maybe, maybe what they got actually could be something comparable to what Kansas would see if you actually end up, you know, with them being, you know, were found, I don't know what's, I don't know what the appropriate word is and then found to be, you know, con- I guess convicted of the allegations, a convicted is not a right sure. word in front of the NCAA body, but you get what I'm saying. Um, you know, and I think that makes a big difference. And I know uh, Lamont Evans didn't really, he also didn't um, cooperate with the investigations too. And I'm wondering how much that, you know, really ticked off the NCAA. And uh, so, you know, maybe the one season postseason ban or one year postseason ban is actually something KU maybe could even look at and say, hey, maybe that's what we're looking at. I know it's more charges, but more or more level one uh, charges. But here we didn't have any coaches actually involved. It's more we just didn't know. I think that there has to be some sort of distinction there. 
Well, you know, I'm going to burst the bubble of any naive Kansas fan out there that thinks that nothing is going to happen in Kansas. Something is going to happen. And I think that the Oklahoma State result, uh, you know, is pretty telling. I, again, I know it's a completely different body that more than likely will hear the Kansas case, but, you know, uh, they're not going to, it's just not going to happen where Oklahoma State is going to be accused of one level one violation and they get a punishment and Kansas skates by with nothing. That's not going to happen. And I have talked to a couple Kansas fans that I know that say, why would the NCAA, you know, put the hammer down on one of the blue blood programs with, you know, a, a, a Naismith basketball hall of famer as the coach and, you know, one of the most prestigious universities and basketball programs in the history of the game. Why would they want to do that? The NCAA, at the end of the day, they're in survival mode right now themselves. And so they're going to do anything that makes it look like they have control of the sport, because in a lot of in a lot of ways, especially with that FBI investigation where Lamont Evans and several of the other schools were tied up in that, that showed a complete lack of control from the NCAA as well. And so they're going to do anything in their power to show that they have control. And so I think that the Oklahoma State penalty might be a little bit of an overcompensation from the NCAA, but I don't think they're going to let up. I, I think that it's 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 a fantasy for any Kansas fans to think that they're going to skate by and not get any kind of penalty. Yeah, I, I mean, for sure, I get, I do, I guess it has to be possible, right, that it goes to this independent body because they have narrowed this issue down to whether Adidas was a booster or not. And I think that that could make it very easy. I mean, if essentially if this independent body could look at it and say, no, the bylaws have does not create Adidas being a booster of the university, then I think that you very can't, you, I mean, you very well just can kind of ax these allegations right then and there. And then there, I mean, there can't really be a charge or a penalty associated if they find that now exactly what you said. I, I think you're right. I think it's, I don't think that's going to be as clean as answer of that, but there it's kind of hard to find. I mean, where it's kind of hard to figure out where they could make this murky, right? Because either they are, or they aren't, they're not going to come back and say, well, they weren't, but you kind of did this, or they're going to come back and say, or they're not going to come back and say, well, they are a booster, but you didn't really do X, Y, and Z. I mean, I, I, I find it kind of far-fetched to think that that's going to happen. Um, but, you know, and with that being said, though, I do think there is something to the NCAA starting to slowly see themselves lose their product. So, and again, I really do agree with what you're saying about, hey, look, they've lo- they, it looks like they've lost control. They're not going to just let somebody run all over them. But they also need Kansas. They need Duke. They need Coach K. They need Bill Self. They need Kentucky. They, you know, I mean, that, that is their product now, especially as they're losing players. They are losing names that represent college basketball and all they have anymore. And it's kind of always been this way, but I feel like especially so now is these, you know, these prestigious universities, these blue bloods. Um, So I do think there might be, it might be in their interest to figure out a way to um, walk the line with this, come down with some sort of penalty. and, And again, it's going through the independent process, but, you know, I think the NCA would advocate for something to come down on them without absolutely wrecking the program because that's Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, Coach K, Bill Self, Calipari. That's what college basketball is right now. 
when you have one or two schools that find a way around the rules and a way around being caught, that's a, that the result of that are the, it's the fault of the school, right? For breaking those rules knowingly. When you have dozens and dozens of programs, you know, I've heard, you know, multiple, uh, you know, interviews where, where coaches are saying, look, if you're not thinking that this is happening everywhere, it absolutely is happening everywhere. That's the result of a broken system. Right. And that system is the NCAA. So I, I absolutely agree with you that the NCAA, it, it would probably be in the best interest for them to continue to lose control of their product. Um, you know, and so I, I absolutely think that the NCAA is incredibly culpable in fostering this environment of, of what is happening right now. Uh, and it was a complete embarrassment that the FBI got involved, you know, with, with these schools. And that's an embarrassment to the NCAA as well. Um, you know, but I think at the same time, the NCAA is trying to find ways to make this a little bit more approachable, I suppose, a little bit more palatable. I think that's where that independent body comes into play. Now, obviously, Oklahoma State did not have their case heard by this independent body, so they can appeal. KU cannot, uh, you know, at least the the decision that was made at that time. I'm sure that there are other appeal processes that they can do, um, but one of the the new developments with Kansas is uh, a few different things that have come out with this independent body. So the committee on infractions for the NCAA, Carol Cartwright uh, believes that KU's case does belong with the a, uh, the IARP. That's the independent body. KU also agrees with that, but they believe that the football violations should be separated and resolved through the NCAA's typical committee on infractions for immediate resolution. Um, and then from there, you know, the, the NCAA is continuing to be frustrated by what they call KU's adversarial posturing. Um, you know, Bill Self takes exception to that. Um, KU and Bill Self make intentions clear that they reserve the right to have uh, the decision from that independent panel reviewed by a federal court if they so choose. So there obviously are appeals outside of this independent body. Mm -hmm. It's not 100% final. But at the end of the day, do you think that, I mean, we talked about this before, do you think that, the, number one, that this independent body is going to be a little bit more fair to Kansas or and then also, do you think it's a smart game plan for them to try to separate out the football and basketball allegations? Okay, so I, I want to answer both those questions. But first, I want to absolutely laugh at the notion from the NCA that Kansas is having adversarial posturing, which and not so much laugh that that's not going on, but like. What do you expect? You're bringing incredible right. allegations against a very long, proud university, a college basketball coach who is literally at the top of it. What, what did you expect? They were just going to hold hands and go along with this? Are you kidding? <laughs> I mean, it just blows my mind for them to even suggest that they wouldn't be that in that manner. Um, so as far as, as the process, uh, you know, I think, I think it makes a lot of sense for them to separate the football and the basketball. I mean, they're not, they're not even close to the same type of allegations. I mean, you have coaching violations um, essentially, and then you have, you know, Adidas was, I mean, it's two in, incredibly different things. So I do think it's interesting that they want um, the football to still go through the normal NCAA process. I don't, I guess I don't know enough about the speed in which you get a, 
answer whether if the NCA is, you know, it's like, okay, hey, we're ready for the NCA to make a ruling on this. If that means they'll get something a lot quicker than going through this independent process, I'm sure there's a lot more money involved in this independent process. You're probably going to, the KU is going to have to pay, I'm sure, multiple lawyers to go ahead and present their case, probably, I would think, to this IARP. Um, through this process. And, and then, like I said, I mean, there's no doubt that, you know, whatever decision is held, obviously, unless it's favorable to Kansas, um, their Kansas is going to take this all the way. And I, I kind of suggested that, that, that wouldn't that, you know, Hey, it can't be appealed as far as the NCA is concerned, but you can absolutely always tra- challenge something in court. And I don't think that the NCA would have any standing to say that you can't challenge us in court. I mean, it's sorry. I mean, that's, we're, we're suing you, you know, that there's nothing you can do to stop that. You can say we're wrong, but you can't stop us from suing you. Right. I think that is the most telling thing from all of this. Not necessarily that the they want the football and basketball allegations separated, but the fact that they've made it pretty clear that if this independent body, or I guess even if the NCAA, if it gets, you know, declined to be heard by this body and the normal NCAA committee hears the case, uh, they're prepared to fight it. They're prepared to actually take it to court outside of the realm of the NCAA. So, uh, you know, I think that's, a, again, a pretty strong position. And I'm glad that they're doing that. I mean, you know, th- this is definitely. It it certainly seems to me that the University of Kansas in this situation, while, again, I believe that Jeff Long absolutely bungled uh, the the David Beatty situation. I believe that it. I agree with the direction that they're going. They're going to be in for the fight of their lives, and they're going to fight it all the way. And so, uh, I don't. I don't have a beef at all with the way that they're handling this. You know, we've used the phrase "scorched earth" before. I think that's the right move yeah. because, like you said, what are they going to do? Are they going to you know hold hands and sing kumbaya? They're not going to do that. They're in the fight for their lives. They're being again accused of egregious uh, things by the NCAA. And they're not going to go down without a fight. And so I, I definitely think that's the, the right move. Uh, and it is interesting for me to see that they have basically said, look, if it doesn't go our way, we believe we have recourse and we're for sure going to take that recourse. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you even think of something like, you know, you work somewhere and they say, hey, or, or maybe you, you know, sign up for anything and they say, okay, if you want to sue us, you have to, it has to go through arbitration. Okay. So even in those scenarios, I can sue you to say, hey, this contract I signed going to arbitration is not right and I don't have to go through arbitration. And you have that opportunity to be heard by a court. And it's the same thing here. NCA can say, hey, we agreed on this process. I mean, if that is their defense to not being able to appeal the IARP decision, KU can absolutely file in district court and say, no, that is not a conscionable contract and and we're not going to follow it. And then you kind of get, I mean, it's obviously you can see where this can really spiral out of control because all that then even is resolving is that we can appeal this to a court. And then you go to that court to actually even see you know, if the appeal should be, you know, upheld or not. So, I mean, there really could be, we could be looking, I think a year, year and a half, two years out. I mean, this very well could get dragged on for a very long time. I, you know, I'm really glad that, you know, with no sports going on right now, at least it's a topic that has to do with law (laughs) because then you've got easy. You can bring to the table. Uh, Always enjoy talking about uh, the legal battles with the University of Kansas with you. We're going to stay in the collegiate world now and talk about athletic directors. We mentioned Jeff Long uh, a couple different times. 
on this episode, but we're going to talk about other Big 12 athletic directors. So this came from uh, Stadium. So the website, watchstadium.com, a couple of pretty well-known sports writers, Jeff Goodman and Brett McMurphy uh, on the basketball and football sides, respectively. They put out their ranking of how they rank Big 12 athletic directors based on basketball and football hires, not necessarily just at the school that they're currently at, but their entire body of work, their entire resume. So number one is is really no surprise. Joe Castiglione from Oklahoma has been there forever. He's been there since you know the, the late 90s. He's hired guys like Bob Stoops and Lincoln Riley. He's hired guys like Lon Kruger uh, at, at um, University of Oklahoma. So he, he for sure comes in at number one. And that, that definitely seems like pretty unanimous as well for his hires at Oklahoma. After that, though, it gets a little bit interesting because number two out of the 10 teams in the Big 12, number two is Gene Taylor from Kansas State University. Now, this is primarily based on his hires while he was at North Dakota State for uh, about 14 years, hiring on the football side guys like Craig Bull and Chris Kleiman, and then obviously hiring Chris Kleiman at Kansas State. He comes in at number two. Are you surprised with Gene Taylor when you look at all of the athletic directors in the Big 12 coming in at number two? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think it depends on how you're phrasing what this list is, right? Because I think Gene Taylor has an incredible resume if you're not you're not ranking these ADs based on what they've done in the Big 12 because Gene Taylor's – I mean, what he did at North Dakota State was incredible, and I, I think he's already got Kansas State on a good path. Um, you know, as he's come, come in, but I think, I think it's, I think it is fair really. Um, if you're judging on a resume as a whole, I think it's so close and there's so many small details that can really separate some of these guys. I mean, like if you go on down and kind of look at, you know, Mac Rhodes or even they've got Jeff Long at number four, um, you know, I mean, it's such a minute amount of deal, but I think anytime you find success to the level that, uh, Gene Taylor did at North Dakota state, I mean, I think that speaks volumes to what you can do at, at, as an AD, if you can take a place like North Dakota State and make it a winner. You know, on the one hand, I, I I look at that and I say, okay, he absolutely built a juggernaut at North Dakota State with Craig Bull and then Chris Kleiman. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Uh, then the other part of me says, okay, are we looking more at, you know, like a, a huge amount of success at a smaller school, an SCS school like North Dakota State is? Or you look at a guy like Jeff Long, you know, who has hired uh, football coaches like Dave Wanstead at Pittsburgh, at Arkansas, Bobby Petrino and Brett Bilema, of course, at Kansas, Les Miles, uh, Mike Anderson on the basketball side for Arkansas. Those are some really big name coaches with mixed results. But as far as the big name game, Jeff Long absolutely is above Gene Taylor. And one of the things that I go back to our interview last week uh, with Logan Dolt, uh, for a former uh, you know K State player, I mentioned how definitely you know Les Miles won the press conference, but it sure looks like Chris Kleiman is, is winning the battle right now between those two coaches. So does it come down to big name recognition, or does it come down to success? And obviously, this is being ranked on success. And uh, you know, I, I don't disagree with Gene Taylor being at number two. Yeah, and I'll tell you who I think maybe a little bit. Um 
kind of under the radar here is Mike Holder at Oklahoma State. Granted, obviously, you know, he, he has not had to hire a football coach and they've done well in the football department. But I mean, really, the three basketball coaches he's brought in, I mean, he had some pretty good success with Travis Ford. Then he had Brad Underwood, who had a, a year and bounced. And I don't know if you, you know, if you really uh, fault the AD for that, but Brad Underwood looked very promising, still doing good things at Illinois now. And then, really, I mean, I know Oklahoma State over the last couple of years hasn't done great, but I, I hear so many good things about Mike Boynton and how how they're doing. And really, I mean, he, you know, when uh, Mike Holder took over in 2005, I mean, that's, you know, the, uh, Oklahoma State. Well, I mean, they, I guess they were kind of coming off Eddie Sutton and you're, you're right in the midst of, of all that turmoil. And, you know, he hired three pretty good basketball coaches for a school that yeah. is a football school. So do you really fault him for just having a good, you know, head football coach in place and, and Mike Gundy? <laughs> My under the radar guy is Kirby Hocutt from Texas Tech, you know, hiring Cliff Kingsbury, you know, to be the head coach of Texas Tech. And then obviously Matt Wells, I think, is going to be a good coach for the Red Raiders. But then on the basketball side, he did have a couple swings and misses with Billy Gillespie and Tubby Smith was okay. I mean, Tubby Smith brings a lot of legacy, but Chris Beard blows them all away. And the fact that he was able to get Chris Beard back at Texas Tech and Chris Beard notoriously is a nomad in college basketball. He goes all over the place, barely stays anywhere for more than a year. And he's been at Texas Tech for four years. Doesn't look like he's going anywhere and and took the Red Raiders all the way to the title game last year. So, you know, I think Kirby Hokett is ranked a little low. Um, And and I think you look at guys like Mike Holder, Kirby Hokett, even Chris Del Conte at Texas. Jeff Long is a big name. Mac Rhodes is a big name at Baylor. And, I'm sure people look at that ranking and they see Gene Taylor at number two and they're like, who, who is this guy? He's at number two. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Um, But I think if you're looking at it from pure wins and losses, again, it does make sense. I, uh, if I were to draft it or rank it, I'm not sure I would put Gene Taylor at two and I wouldn't put him any, maybe lower than four. I think that was Mm -hmm. a great get for the Wildcats. And I think he's, I think it's going to pay off for a long time for him. Yeah. And I guess too, again, kind of going back to what I said in the beginning, depending on how you're framing this list, you know, if, if it's also on, Hey, what, what AD would you want right now? And not just necessarily what they've done. Gene Taylor might absolutely be my number two. I mean, he, what he's, he's done nothing but win and there's promise moving forward. He may not have a back record, you know, or you could argue that others have a, maybe a back record. That's a little bit better than what his is, but I think the promise in, in where, you, you know, as far as a top list for a big name AD job coming up, he may be up there if something pops up, uh, you know, a few years in the future. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. So Gene Taylor comes in at number two, Jeff Long from Kansas comes in at number four on the ranking of the big 12 athletic directors. We want to touch on this really quickly. So at the time of this recording, uh, the uh, major league baseball draft is going on. So obviously there still is no season in place. Hopefully that gets taken care of soon between the owners and the players. I seem like, it seems like it's a broken record. We keep talking about this over and over and over again, but the draft is going on right now with the number one pick in the MLB draft the Detroit Tigers took Arizona State slugger Spencer Torkelson who's a first baseman and apparently he is uh, the first right-handed batting first baseman ever selected with the first overall pick and the first first baseman drafted with the number one pick since 2000 and that was uh, who is that that was Adrian Gonzalez uh, was selected number one is that right I think that's right um 
Yeah, Adrian Gonzalez, all the way back in 2000, the Marlins drafted him number one. That was the most recent first baseman selected with the number one pick. So that's great, but we're not here to talk about the Tigers. We're here to talk about the picks from both the Miami Marlins and what that might mean for the Wichita wind surge and the Kansas City Royals as well. And the really neat thing in the first round is that they picked back to back. So coming in at number three, the Miami Marlins selected right-hander Max Meyer from the University of Minnesota. He began began his college career in the bullpen before moving into the starting rotation. It'll be interesting to see where this guy ends up, but probably a pretty good likelihood that uh, we might see him in Wichita at some point pitching for the wind surge. But I think what's even more interesting, and Weston, you've got more information about this guy than I do, with the fourth pick, the Kansas City Royals select a left-handed pitcher, Asa Lacey from Texas A&M. Now, there was a lot of talk that Lacey could potentially be taken number one going into the evening. He felt to number four with the Royals, and you think that's a great pick. I am ecstatic that Kansas City got this guy. Um, for those of you who listen, in, or either if you don't do, uh, follow Pitching Ninja on Twitter, and he throws all these overlays out there, and he he shows all sorts of stuff of Asa Lacey. This guy can absolutely throw the ball. He's six foot four, 215 pounds. He's a lefty, throws four pitches, a fastball changeup, slider, and a curveball. Uh, fastball touches, it's usually about 92, 94, touches 97. But this guy just, he just misses bats. I mean, to give you, give you a number, so he – Ended his college career, his junior year, which was started this season with, but with COVID, um, got cut short. So he started the junior year. He went three and zero with a one point six ERA, struck out thirty three batters in seventeen innings, had a forty seven point one strikeout percentage, and had an uh, opponent batting average of one fifty. This guy can absolutely sling the rock, and to have that kind of—I mean, he is a a dominant lefty. I mean, he's been compared to Clayton Kershaw. I mean, that right there should tell you a lot about this guy. Um, I think the Royals, from what I had read, probably were leaning towards taking a bat, but only because they didn't think Asa Lacey would be there. So fantastic pick um, to really. I mean, he could be a guy that could be ready. You know, next season. Absolutely could be. Now, I don't think they will because I don't think they're going to compete. So I don't think they'll they'll have him up. But I think he could be major league ready by next year. The fact that he's a you know coming out of college baseball as you know after his junior season. I always think that's interesting. Like I, I was talking to somebody that you know one time they were like, I, I just wonder why the baseball draft isn't as exciting and and you know everybody gets so pumped for it, like the NFL draft. Well, it's because the NFL draft, you see these guys right away. You know, some of them are probably going to contribute, you know, right away on the very first game of the season. Um, With baseball, it takes a little bit longer. You know, you you rarely, if ever, uh, see a player drafted in, you know, the high first round that immediately goes and plays Mm -hmm. in the big leagues. It doesn't happen. They got to go through the minor league ranks. And so in some cases, it takes a little while to, to see these players show up. Asa Lacey, I agree with you, could be a guy that sooner rather than later we're seeing pitching in Kauffman Stadium. Yeah, I mean, you know, and it's interesting too that we, you know, as now a Wichita podcast, we've kind of shifted into to covering the Marlins a little bit by way of, of them being the affiliate with the wind surge. Um, but there was also a lot of talk that the Marlins would be interested in Asa Lacey. So them passing on him actually, you know, obviously allowed for uh, Asa Lacey to fall to, to the Royals. So, uh, you know, I think uh, – I think he is going to be a front end type guy. And I had, I saw a tweet that the Royals have, I want to say right now, and this is maybe ranked by baseball prospectus or someone like that, but they have like the fifth, seventh and 11th 
ranked pitchers in the minor league system right now, um, or sorry, left-handed pitchers in the minor league system right now. So a lot to be excited about for a future rotation for the Royals. Yeah, if you look at the Royals the last year or two, I mean, I think that most anybody can look at them and say they need a lot of help with pitching, mm-hmm. and uh, and and this guy could be you know somebody that uh, the Royals look to again sooner rather than later to to help out their fortunes uh, in the years to come. Let's get into the Wichita Whip Around right now. We're going to talk about uh, TBT, the basketball tournament 2020. We mentioned a couple of episodes ago about how the the basketball tournament 2020 was going to happen, but it wasn't going to happen like normal. It was going to happen at one uh, particular location, one quarantine location instead of several regional sites. Wichita was in the running to host TBT later this summer at Charles Koch Arena uh, on the campus of Wichita State. Instead, the decision was made within the last 24 hours that TBT will not be going to Wichita. Instead, they'll be playing uh, in Columbus, Ohio. Part of the reason that TBT selected Columbus, according to them, uh, is the fact that there are a lot more teams coming from the East Coast and Columbus is a more centralized hub for a majority of those teams coming from the East Coast. Your thoughts on that? I mean, I think you and I both kind of talked when we previously discussed this, that it really wasn't necessary for Wichita to host it. Uh, so really, is it that big of a deal that it's not coming to Wichita? No, I think, um, and as we'll probably get ready to talk talk about, I think probably the most disappointing thing about Wichita not hosting it, just meaning that the aftershocks aren't aren't going to go ahead and play in that. But I, I think I had kind of talked and said, I you know, I think it would make more sense at a place like Las Vegas. Um, you know, I, I guess Columbus in that sense, would, you know, obviously that's where Ohio State's at. They're going to have a ton of infrastructure in place not that wichita doesn't but anytime you're a college town you're going to have that infrastructure in place and probably relatively close to your main uh venues there in in the city so i I mean i I think it makes sense i'm not i'm not personally too disappointed it's not like fans were going to be able to go out to um you know to watch charles coke or anything like that anyway so i don't feel like wichita is missing a whole lot Yeah, I mean, you want to look at what happened last year with the inaugural edition of TBT and and when the Aftershocks played at Charles Koch Arena in that regional, um, you know, obviously fans were allowed, uh, but it shattered attendance records for TBT, shattered it. Uh, and, and so I think that I think had fans been allowed, I think it might have been a little bit different because at that point you're you know that fans are going to show up like they showed up last year. Maybe not at the, the huge level because of the pandemic, but I think you were still going to see a lot of fans show up. But considering that it was going to be in one quarantine location, again, it just didn't make a ton of sense for TBT to host it in Wichita. And on top of that, it doesn't make a lot of sense for the aftershocks to play either. And I think people are disappointed with that. But at the same time, you have to you have to realize that a lot of the players from the aftershocks don't live in Wichita. A lot of them live in Texas, actually. And it might be 13 hours from Wichita to Columbus, but it's even longer uh, from sorry, from Wichita to Columbus, but even longer from Texas uh, to Columbus as well. So uh, just the, the logistics didn't make a ton of sense for the aftershocks to play uh, again. Not super crazy, but at the end of the day, uh, TBT not taking place in Wichita, but instead going to Columbus, Ohio. I will. Uh, one, uh, oh, go ahead. I was just going to add the one thing is the Wichita Wizards, the semi pro team, are still uh, con- planning on competing if they, that is, if they get selected to be one of the 24 teams. I think they actually held 
a like meet and greet type event to kind of generate some some buzz for themselves last weekend in, in Wichita, uh, but the Wichita Wizards uh, looking still to make the uh, the TPT. Well, and also the uh, the coach of uh, the Aftershocks, Karan Bradley, said that there are no hard feelings with the TBT because of the decision, uh, and they're looking forward to strengthening the alliance between TBT and the Aftershocks in the coming years. The other Wichita whip around point that we'd like to make really quickly, uh, this came out in the Wichita Eagle within the last 24 hours, uh, on still on the topic of basketball, that Kansas State University, the Wildcats, the men's basketball program, they're interested in scheduling more games to be played at Wichita's Interest Bank Arena downtown. Uh, I believe the last time they played in Wichita was 2017. If memory serves correct, they're looking at hoping to schedule more games, future games, in Wichita, uh, potentially as early as the 2021 season. What's been interesting to me about that is why more teams don't take advantage of playing in Wichita, especially I understand KU maybe not wanting to give up a home game in Allen Fieldhouse to come down to Wichita. But at the same time, there's a big fan base. There's a big contingency of both KU and K-State fans in Wichita. It just makes sense to play one game down here. Yeah, and I think really exciting for Wichita, too, and Interest Bank Arena. You know, I'd love to see more things like this coming through, and especially as downtown continues to grow with the stadium, things that are going to go up around the stadium, um, which obviously is not too far from Interest Bank Arena. You know, a, a lot of, you know, could be a, a long walk or, a, you know, a quick cab ride or a trolley ride up uh, to the Interest Bank Arena. So fun to see those kind of things going up. And, and I think it's a great way to showca- showcase Wichita and Interest Bank Arena for, you know, for instance, the first round of the NCAA tournament next year will be held in, in Wichita like it had been in the past, but to continue to show what Wichita can do when they do get a chance to host events like that down at, at Interest. Yeah, I think that's a huge point. I mean, especially knowing how Wichita's showed up for the NCAA tournament, I think it should be a no-brainer that these more local teams try to utilize Wichita to come down and play. So we'll definitely keep you posted uh, if Kansas State University is able to schedule future games at Interest Bank Arena here in Wichita. That's our Wichita whip around. We're going to get into our finally funny right now. Really, there's not a whole lot to talk about with this. I just find it hilarious that Conor McGregor has announced his retirement again for the third time in four years. He's now retired. Uh, what's the over under before he actually comes back again? What do you think? God, I don't. I, <laughs> I don't know because I kind of, to some degree, is thinking like, okay, one time, two times can be kind of considered a. Pl- publicity stunt and and generate some extra buzz but i mean is three time is third time a charm is is he really done i mean he's made all this money i'm kind of with you though i mean you know certainly he he wants to fight a beeb he wants to fight you know floyd again probably for that matter so you know it's probably just more showmanship uh for mcgregor who really kind of hadn't had as much buzz about his name recently yeah, yeah. I, part of me thinks this is just a way for him to keep his name circulating, right? I mean, you know, he hasn't fought. I mean, it's been a little while since he's he's fought. Um, you know, I, I think it, he just wants to get people talking again, and they have. I mean, we're talking about it right now, and a lot of other people are. Um, but the fact that, you know, all of these quote-unquote social media retirements, they're so casual which I know is kind of his style, but it's not like you're seeing press releases or press conferences. He's literally just tweeting. Like I can tweet that I'm retired tomorrow. It doesn't mean that I am, you know? Um, And the fact that he's using casual language, like, Hey guys, I've decided to retire from fighting. 
Like, come on, like you're somebody will come along, offer you more money to buy somebody else and you're going to unretire and you're going to do it. I just find it interesting that for the third time in four years, he's announcing he's retired. So I'm going to give I'm going to give a little Easter egg to our listeners. I'm I'm actually tweeting right now from our KOG um, Twitter uh, Twitter account, a nice little uh, Connor McGregor uh, hashtag finally funny. So for the folks that are maybe listening on tomorrow or which will be on June 11th and seeing this feed on June 10th, they're going to go, oh, that was that was why they they tweeted that that (laughs) finally funny. Absolutely. So Connor McGregor, we'll see how long it lasts uh, for him to stay retired. But that is our finally funny here for Keeper of the Games. And with that, that's going to wrap up another episode of Keeper of the Games. A special thanks to our sponsor, Title Boxing Club at 21st and Rock Road in the shops of Tallgrass. Don't forget, when you purchase some gloves, you get the first month free at Title Boxing Club. And we want to thank them for sponsoring Keeper of the Games. Again, you can find them on the northeast side of Wichita, 21st and Rock Road in the shops at Tallgrass. Also, don't forget that uh, you can hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a new episode, you'll get a notification so you never miss a single episode. And of course, you can find us on all the major podcast platforms like iTunes and Google Play, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and many others. And uh, didn't you tell me that we're now on the updated Google platform as well? Yeah, we are. We are. So we should be all, all squared off there. Uh and I, I don't from checking the numbers, I'm not sure anybody was listening on Google, but we are on the updated Google platform. Hey, at least that option is there, right? <laughs> if anybody is a, a Google podcast listener, don't forget, you can also go to our website, cogpod.weebly.com. Not that we have a whole lot going on there right now. We probably need to get better at that, but uh, you can, of course, visit us uh, there as well. Uh, you can watch full episodes of YouTube and Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. Of course, you can also follow us individually. Weston, hit them with your Twitter handle. At WMills94. And you can follow me at Tweets from Tommy. Until next time, for Weston Mills, I'm Tommy Castor. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Take care, you guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Castor and Weston Mills. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod. 